and welcome to this edition of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast, sponsored by all to do with gaming.com. Save 30% off your entire order with the promo code BigBlue30. Alex Savage put us back again on this Friday, the Friday before the Giants and the Bears game. Also, today, on the Friday, we have the Yankees Red Sox game, even though this might come out a little later than the game starting, meaning the Yankees and Red Sox game. I will still do a preview, but first, we got to get the Giants, the Bears stuff out of the way. But I'm going to go over a couple things as well. I'm going to do stock up and stock down from last week. I'm going to start doing that every week going on the past game. I'm going to present you guys with some stats, rankings, Bears, and Giants as well. I'm going to go over my predictions as well. And you'll see what I will spice up the predictions with and why. And right now I'm going to go over the injury report which might have an effect on my predictions or possibly somebody else's. Who knows? So for the Giants, for Sunday, Golden Tate is questionable with a hamstring. Honestly, going off of what Joe Judge said and going off what Dan Duggan said, I think he could be ready to go. You know, last time he had a touchdown against the Chicago Bears, the last time when Khalil Mack basically put his head into Daniel Jones' chest, even though, you know, we still lost that game. It was still a great play, though. But going from what the beat writers have been saying and also what Joe Judge said at the press conference, if you haven't checked that out already, I think Golden Tate is going to play. Now, however, Adrian Colbert, the safety defensive back who was with Patrick Graham in Miami last year, also played a little bit on Monday night. Last Monday night, he has a quad injury. He will not play. He will be out. So I see the Giants activating Sean Chandler. I don't know if they already protected him I have to look at the players that they did protect for this week I know Chad Slade was one of them Ryan Lewis that's one of them as well Ryan Santoso the kicker from the Lions and the Titans from a couple of years ago and they activated somebody else or at least protected somebody else as well I don't know if it was Chandler but I'm gonna say that if Colbert is out then I think that Ryan Lewis might get a chance with the Giants maybe active on Sunday Also, 7th round pick Carter Coughlin is questionable with a hamstring injury. It's not like he's going to have like this, you know, impact. Oh, it's such a loss if he is hurt. But it is a loss if he does go down. But what I'm trying to say is, you know, mostly special teams the last couple of weeks, you know, we knew that he was not going to start right away. In game one, he didn't start. He was on special teams. We've seen that. However, this is very important, though for the Bears and obviously this will spice up my predictions even more so Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn have been questionable now they are limited in today's practice Keem Hicks was out today with an illness he was held out of practice so we'll see where that goes but honestly I think Hicks could play Sunday depending on the illness that he does have obviously that plays into how he plays you know whatever and whatnot but for Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn Robert Quinn did not play last week against the Bears and Khalil Mack did play last week, though he failed to record a pressure and a sack. So that's going to be interesting to see how that goes. I will obviously go over the stats in a little bit. However, it's time for stock up and stock down. So stock up from last week basically is the players that have been doing really well coming off that week. And stock down to the players that didn't so so great. So for stock up, I got Darius Slayton, 6 receptions, 102 Receiving yards and also two touchdowns from Daniel Jones. The connection was there like we wanted to see even better. So, you know, going from there, stock up for him. Leonard Williams led the team in pressures. Actually, no, that was Lorenzo Carter. But 
Leonard Williams did get a sack, and all the Giants fans are a little bit happier now because he did get a sack, and he actually had like one or two pressures as well. Blake Martinez, you know, he didn't get that many tackles for a loss, but you saw him in the backfield when James Conner and Benny Snell would run the football. So that's something to keep your eyes on, but he was definitely active in the backfield last week. Wasn't put into coverage way too many times either. Lorenzo Carter led the team with three pressures last week. Missed a sack, but Dexter Lawrence caught up with Big Ben when they were backed up into their own end zone almost. So Lorenzo Carter, stock up for him. Dexter Lawrence did get one or two pressures last week, and he also got a sack. As I just mentioned, saving Lorenzo Carter's behind because Carter missed the sack and then Dexter Lawrence came and finished it. And also, for my final stock up, Daniel Jones. Listen, I know he tossed two interceptions last week, and I know those were very costly. One was a great play by Watt. Another one was a, you know, a very bad decision because he was being chased by Bud Dupree, and he was hit as he threw it. Hayward intercepted it, and that drive seemed it was like for nothing. But Daniel Jones did have a good game, especially when he was being pressured how many times on how many dropbacks. You know, the offensive line was getting pushed into his lap, and he was still making those quick dart throws. There was one, I forget whose receiver was, it may have been Toy Lolo or something. I know Vince Williams was in coverage, I think. You know, Daniel Jones basically went like this off of his back foot when he was getting pressured and hit. Still made a completion. So that's, you know, very productive. What do you want to see out of your second-year quarterback? Especially, you know, when you're comparing to the other side when Sam Darnold didn't necessarily have the week last week. And to be honest, I think Steelers are a better team than the Buffalo Bills. But honestly, do the Steelers have a better or worse situation now that the Ravens are coming alive and possibly the Browns too? Another stock down, linebacker Kyler Fackrell didn't get like a lot of pressures last week. Didn't get any from what I saw. Didn't make any really impact plays, not even a pressure. So I have him stocked down from there. Pro Football Focus rated him as one of the worst edge rushers coming off of last week. And I know I don't necessarily, you know, go off of Pro Football Focus. I know a lot of people say, oh, you only do it because you're narrative. No, I don't. Because when I see something, you know, I can agree with somebody on something else. It's necessarily it takes and some of the harsh grades that they do give players. Evan Ingram, easily ranked the worst tight end football coming off of last week. Two key drops. One of them wasn't necessarily a drop. But one was when Daniel Jones was rolling out right. And this was in the red zone. I'm pretty sure it was when the Giants were in the red zone after the Deontay Johnson fumble. Jones was rolling right. T.J. Watt was there. So if he would have threw it over him in a way or directly at him, T.J. Watt could have had an interception. But Jones basically rolled out. And Ingram couldn't reach out the extra two inches to catch the ball. Also, he had a bad night with blocking. And even though... The OPI was bullshit against him because I was watching and I saw he only had one arm going there when literally basically Terrell Edmonds or whoever was in coverage was fighting him on it. You know, it looked like a mutual thing. So you can't really say, oh, pass interference only on the offense. You could say it on the defense as well because he's pushing in as well. But other than that, you know, he didn't have a good week last week. Isaac Yadom, he allowed one touchdown, took a really weird angle of the ball when Juju Smith-Schuster got his first touchdown of the season. That was the first touchdown for the Steelers this season as well because that went from 3-9 to nine and Boswell missed the extra point. Corey Ballantyne, I would say it's a minor stock down in a way. He didn't do excessively horrible last week, but towards the end of the game with him and Darnay Holmes, they started, you know, opening up their weaknesses you know 
Ben found Deontay Johnson a couple times when Corey Ballantyne was in coverage. Not good. Darnay Holmes missed a couple of tackles. Not good. Jabril Peppers missed an open field tackle against Benny Snell, one he really should have got, and was really struggling in coverage against Eric Ebron as well. Even though Ebron wasn't targeted as much, Cameron Fleming allowed a sack last week, was pretty much dominated by TJ Watt and the other blitzers and rushers coming out there. Kevin Zeitler didn't have a great week last week either. Nick Gates, the same thing. He's a new starter at center. And Saquon Barkley. Now, I know everybody's going to say, oh, well, it wasn't Saquon's fault, this, that, and the other thing. Look, I said this on Tuesday. I'm going to say it again. Pass protection needs to get better. And I don't know, I forget when Tiki made that comment. I think it was yesterday, the day before. I don't know why everybody's ripping Tiki. He may have been an a-hole in his career. But that doesn't compare to right now where he's speaking facts. Saquon Barkley, and I'm not saying Saquon's on every down back. But he needs to get better at pass protection. We saw this last year against the Jets. We saw it again against the Steelers. Mike Hilton totally faked out Saquon Barkley. And he got the sack, causing fourth down so in those situations either Saquon needs to get better at pass protection or they need to put in Wayne Gallman or Deion Lewis who are better pass protectors in the backfield especially when blisters are coming on third down and Barkley another thing you know I get the offensive line was not that great last week especially when it comes to run blocking but at the same time you need to find the holes again one of those plays the offensive line wasn't blocking too well I'm pretty sure Ingram actually messed up his block on one of those when they were sending more guys than, you know, the Giants could block. And Bud Dupree was coming around the backside. Saquon was, you know, hurtling and jumping in the backfield. It could have been a negative one-yard loss. I'm sorry, it could have been one-yard loss to a six-yard loss. That's how he made it happen. He just needs to find the whore, at least accept what he's got. Because when you're either doing that in the return game, or whether you're doing it in that backfield, or maybe when you're even doing that and you're catching a ball... Get the yards in front of you, not the negative ones behind you. So that's basically my stock up, stock down. I was thinking about doing like a middle-middle thing. Like, okay, he didn't do that bad, but he still has stuff to work on. I was thinking of doing that, but stock up, stock down seems better. So let's look at the bear stats. I'm not going to go too deep into analytics and film and stuff because I have yet to purchase NFL Game Pass, and I want to. I'm working on that, trust me, so I can you know break down the film and do that stuff and get the advanced metrics off of different sites as well. But let's look at the bear stats coming off of last week. Now, this is their offense. They are 19th in total yards, 363 off last week off the Detroit Lions defense, which is horrid. Passing yards, 22nd with 214. Rushing yards, they are 9th with 149. And for points, they are 12th with 27. Obviously, they won 27-24, I believe it was, against the Detroit Lions. Now look at the defense, the oh-so-bearing pass rush. The defense, total yards 27th, gave up 426 yards against the Detroit Lions offense. Passing yards, they were 25th, 288. With rushing yards, they were 22nd with 138. Gave up most of those yards to Adrian Peterson, who had 93 yards on the day. And also, for points, 15th with 23. And also... For pass rush win rate, they were 18th, 41.2 in pass rush win rate percentage. Actually, it wasn't Khalil Mack. It wasn't Akeem Hicks. It wasn't by Lyle Nichols. It wasn't any of their pass rushers, at least from the outside. Roy Robertson-Harris led the team in pressures with three. Lorenzo Carter led the Giants with pressures in three. 
And it seemed really surprising they didn't get, you know, a lot more sacks because they are an infuriating team when it comes to game planning. Trust me. You know, Chuck Pagano, he's a good defensive coordinator. I know Vic Fangio's not there, but, you know, they still have the same talent. You know, at the same time, they had two new starters on that Detroit offensive line. I think Jonah Jackson, I think he's the rookie at Ohio State starting at right guard. He actually gave up the one sack to Akeem Hicks. And then you got the right tackle, Tyrell Crosby, who was drafted, I believe, in the third or the fifth round of the 2018 draft. A lot of people were raving, oh, why don't you get a right tackle like him? Well, we'll see where that goes. But, you know, I'm pretty sure they only had five QB hits and one uh, quarterback sack. So that's something that they need to work on. And I'm going to, you know, mention that in my keys to the game. So if you take a look at here are the Giants stats. In total yards last week, they were 26 with 291. Obviously, the passing offense isn't going to get to next. They were 12th, 262. Most of those yards came off the passing game, the total yards, because Saquon Barkley only had six rushing yards, and Daniel Jones had, I believe, like 22 rushing yards, something like that. He was their lead rusher last week. And Deion Lewis couldn't do anything in the backfield. You know, there was no holes for them. Uh, Rushing yards, 32nd. 29, as I just mentioned, couldn't run for shit last week. Points, 29th, they had 16 points last week. Obviously failed to convert on a two-point conversion, which would have kept them somewhat in the game. But at the same time, you know, look at the how many minutes were left, how many timeouts were left, better clock management, but at the same time, you know, the Steelers basically finished off with a Juju Smith-Schuster touchdown. Now we go to defense, which actually wasn't that bad last week. And a lot of, you know, people are saying, oh, well, the defense did this, the defense did that. You know, we'll leave them to that. Anyway, total yards, they were 12th, 349. Allowed Big Ben 208 passing yards total. 10th in the league. 141 rushing yards. That is 25th in the league, if I'm not mistaken. 141. Obviously, most of them coming from Benny Snell. A little bit from Jalen Samuels. And also, you cannot forget James Conner. At least in the first part of the game, we held him tight. And then Benny Snell came in, and we act like we were dead. Points, 19th, 26 points. Not bad for a defense that's still growing. And then pass rush win rate, we were 8th, 55.6. But the Steelers were first. I forget their percentage. I could probably tweet it out or do something like that. That was obviously against our offensive line. So, I'm going to go to three keys to the game. Number three. Get the run game going. As I just mentioned, 0.4 yards per carry for Saquon last week. 15 rushes, 6 yards. Daniel Jones was the lead rusher. I think it was like 4 rushes for 22 yards or something like that. Not because, you know, we need to get our run game going again, but the Bears gave up 93 yards to Adrian Peterson, old man AP. He's still got some bones, he's still got some muscle left in him and whatnot, but to AP... Really? AP. Adrian Peterson. He's a Hall of Famer, but, you know, come on now. This is this guy's, you know, all worn out. I'm sorry, but that's the facts. Why are you giving up so many yards to him? As I said, I haven't watched the film. Bears are 23rd in rushing when it comes to yards. I just mentioned that in the stats. So why not take advantage of this? Especially if Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn are out. Especially if Akeem Hicks, you know, is still ill. Why not take advantage? You know, there will be still rushers that they use in different type of looks and situations, but they won't be Akeem Hicks or any of those rushers if those rushers are out. You know what I'm saying? So why not get your run game going now and maybe, I don't know, Saquon has a 100-yard game? He did pretty well against them. 
you know, the year before last when it was 2018 and Jamon Brown, Spencer Pulley, and Chad Wheeler were on the offensive line, he still went out and got yards. And then we have a better O-line last year, and then everybody just craps the bed. He didn't get 100 yards. And the offensive line wasn't that good that game. Both those games. But at least, you know, there were points in the game with the 2018 Chicago game where holes were opened up. So, you know. Number two, contain Mitch Trubisky. Everybody thinks, oh, Mitch Trubisky, you know, he's not worth number two overall pick, blah, 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 blah. Matt Nagy's not doing his job. I'm going to reveal what I think of this, you know, whole uh, hire this guy for a QB, blah, 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 bullshit in a second. Because I would have a point to get to it. Contain Mitchell Trubisky, Allen Robinson, and Anthony Miller. Now, if you take a look at the stats here, Trubisky, in the second half of the game, threw three touchdowns and no interceptions, including the touchdown to Javon Wims. Now, you take a look. I wrote a preview article of three geek a three keys to the game article on last word on sports. I'll probably put it out on my Twitter or if not, you guys can go check it out. It's under NFL NFC East and the giants, Anthony Miller and Allen Robinson had great games and the Detroit defense last week. Miller had four receptions for 76 yards and Robinson had five receptions for 77 yards. I'm pretty sure we only held Juju Smith Schuster to about 70 yards last week. That's not that bad. It may not be good, it may not be that bad. At the same time, because, you know, Juju didn't, you know, totally mash the secondary. You know, there were a couple plays I was pissed off at James Bradbury, including the touchdown he gave up, you know, towards the end of the game. But at the same time, you know, there was no big plays down the field to Juju Smith-Schuster. Chase Claypool, you know, he did the best last week out of pretty much all of them in certain cases when it went to downfield. Because with that one play... You know, when Bradbury was in coverage and Love as well, made a play down the field. They got down the field and did what they could there. I have to rewatch the drive, man. I'm pretty sure that was the drive where Juju Smith-Schuster got the touchdown. He allowed two touchdowns, Bradbury. And he's going to be facing probably Robinson when he's outside the slot or Anthony Miller as well. But for the Giants as well, you need to put someone reliable in the slot, whether it be Logan Ryan whether it be Darnay Holmes, whether it be, you know, someone who does good in practice. Because this Isaac Yaidon thing doesn't work out from week one. I was never a fan of the trade, as I mentioned before. But you need to put somebody in the slot who either has experience or whether they could, you know, go up against a speedy receiver. I'm pretty sure Allen Robinson accumulated over 100 yards last year against the Giants. Who was the slot cornerback? Corey Ballantyne. He's not going to be playing slot, I'm pretty sure. He's going to be playing cornerback too, if they still keep him there. Now, whether you put Holmes in the slot, whether you put Ryan in the slot, you need to make it work because whether you close up Anthony Miller on the outside or wherever they put him, Allen Robinson is a threat. Javon Wims, you should not sleep on him either. Now we go to number one. Stop the pass rush. Now, I know... My last key to the game, you know, number one was stop the pass rush. The first couple weeks, and I'm not really getting intimidated by this whole Dallas pass rush thing, even though Demarcus Lawrence is a good rusher and he had an underwhelming season last year. The first couple weeks, we're going to be facing a lot of good rushers. We are. Week one, we faced the goddamn Steelers. Look what they did to us. This week, if Khalil Mack is healthy, if Akeem Hicks is healthy, and if Robert Quinn is healthy, 
you're looking at possibly the same situation as last week, but with less dominant rushers. Because Quinn's going to be on one side, Mack is going to be on the other, and you'll have Hicks going through the interior. So basically, you have to have the same setup as last week, except you need to play better. And, you know, with the stopping the pass rush thing, and I mentioned, you know, the first couple of weeks, we faced a couple pass rushing teams. Aaron Donald's in week four. Week before that, the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah, they lost Richard Sherman. He's on IR. And also, Kellen Witherspoon, you know, he's playing against the Jets. We'll see if anything happens there. But look at the front seven. Fred Warner. Uh, Javon Kinlaw. Arik Armstead. It's not going to get any easier. Especially when we're going in that part of the season. So, you know, what a time now. Especially if we're going to be facing Baltimore late in the season. Start formulating this offensive line. Start gelling right now. I'm not saying, you know, gel right now and, you know, or else this offensive line is bad. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that, you know, start formulating better communication so in the next couple of weeks you could have a better chance than you had against Pittsburgh. That's what I'm saying. And, you know, again, stopping the pass rush is key. That's why number one. Last year we didn't do so good. You know, we barely got any offense going. We had 14 points. 14 points against the Chicago Bears last year. And Trubisky totally just threw out on us. Allen Robinson, their number one receiver that game. But to my main point, number one, stop the pass rush. Number two, stop Allen Robinson, Mitchell Trubisky, and Anthony Miller. Number three, get the run game going. And maybe one week that the Bears are horrible and then they're good in the running game. But let's start this week on a better foot. I don't want six rushing yards again. Because that was a repeat of the Jets game, even though we got more yards. And you could say, oh, Saquon, you know, that big uh, screed play downfield. Look, I'm not going to say that wasn't a good play. But we need, you know, better communication, better chemistry, better teamwork. Because this is a team. A lot of people forget that. They're like, oh, Saquon this, you know. Okay. Now to my predictions. Now, I thought about this a lot. And when... Sean and I and Luca go over our predictions because we do some system a lot like the Michael K show. You know, we're picking our picks. I am picking the New York Giants over the Chicago Bears. The score, 24-20. I believe that the Giants didn't do that horrible when it comes to the defense last week. And if they can do that against Mitch Trubisky... Look at the weapons you had last week. You had Juju Smith-Schuster. You had Chase Claypool, who was a deep threat. And you also had another guy by the name of James Washington. And once they slow down the run game, it's going to get better. So, from then on, you don't have as many weapons as the Steelers, or as better of an offense as the Steelers right now. You know, I've always discredited, at least before this season, the Steelers offense. Oh, Big Ben, you know... Big Ben came to work, but we only limited him to so many yards. And that's a good thing. If we could do that against Mitchell Trubisky and at least put in the effort for four quarters instead of two, I think we can win. Honestly, I'm picking the Giants to win. However, on another note, I'm actually pretty excited because Ian Eagle's calling the game. He's probably my favorite CBS broadcaster, probably besides Greg Gumbel. I mean, I like Tony Romo and Jim Nance. On occasion when I could stand Tony Romo. You know, here we go, Jim. 
But honestly, in a different take, even before I get to the Giants Bear stuff or back to it at least, I like CBS better than Fox. I'm going to say that right now because I think when CBS does their shows and stuff, like, I like their pregame shows better. I think they evaluate a lot more things. What really social distances me from Fox is that, you know, CBS doesn't really have a lot of, I would say, sports talk shows as you would say Fox, like Colin Cowherd and Undisputed. What really bothers me about Fox is that, like, they make a bunch of takes and then they change their opinion and their view later on and they don't even say that they had that view and then, you know, they changed it. Like... Even though it was a different situation, Colin Cowherd had the Ravens going 16-0. But then a couple weeks later, he has the Bengals beating the Baltimore Ravens in Week 17. So that he went 15-1 in his predictions, and then they go and tell him, they told him live on air, they said, hey, uh, your predictions are wrong, by the way, because you picked the Bengals to win in Week 17, even though you got the Ravens at 16-0. I mean, honestly... I don't know how you believe that the Ravens are going 16-0. Am I saying they're a good team? Of course, they are a good team. Lamar Jackson, all the weapons on offense and the defense, you know, all the talent there with Marcus Peters and all the guys on the defense. But how are you going to sit there? It's just so many paid takes that piss me off. You have no evidence backing that up. You have no evidence. I mean, I have to look at their schedule again because I'm pretty sure I have them going like 13-3 and three or something. I would have to take a look because remember, we did make predictions back in March, April, May-ish when we did that live stream and it's got over about 700 views, probably the most views on this YouTube channel. Thank you guys so much for that. It's come from outside viewers too, like Seahawks fans and Falcons fans and Rams fans, you know, but... What really pisses me off about Fox is they make a lot of paid takes. And you are paid to do that. You know, it is your job. But at least when you're giving me a stupid take, back it up. You know, and Skip Bayless and Shannon Sharp have done the greatest job in the world of pissing me off at times. Especially when they're talking about the Giants. Stephen A. 2. Stephen A. 2 has definitely done that because they're saying, oh, the Giants suck this, that, and the other thing. Like the other day, they had Reggie Bush on and he was basically defending Saquon Barkley and basically trashing the Giants team. And he was like, oh, well, the Giants don't have, you know, an offensive guy, a running back guy is like a head coach. Well, what did you expect? And this is going to lead me to my next point about Matt Nagy and that stuff, what I was talking about earlier. The Giants had an offensive coach. His name was Ben McAdoo, then it's Pat Shermer. Obviously, Saquon Barkley spent two years with Pat Shermer. What from there did Saquon get better at in the case? Now, I'm not saying he's not a dynamic runner. But at the same time, he's having the same pass protection issues from there as he is now. So, I really don't understand, you know, why you're trashing Jason Garrett and why you're trashing Joe Judge. Meanwhile, you know, the last regime of coaches was mainly offensive and really more geared to offensive. Because you take a look at the first year. Saquon Barkley was put in to help Eli revive his career. That didn't happen. So the next year they went and drafted a quarterback. His name is Daniel Jones. And that year they used him and, you know, multiple different ways. And that year was about developing Daniel Jones. Whether I agree with the firing of Pat Shermer, which I do in multiple cases, but at the same time you have to bring up a lot of different points, which leads me to my next point. 
you know, I know I'm getting way off topic here with this whole Bears-Giants thing. I mean, I'm pretty much finished with that. But this is just a side point. Everybody's saying, oh, you know, hire this guy because he's a quarterback guru. Hire this guy because he's a quarterback guru. Hire this guy because he's an offensive mind. Where has that turned out right? Screw the head coach. Screw the total working on the defense and whatnot. Matt Nagy, other than the first year of his reign, what has Mitch Trubisky done? Other than a 2018 Pro Bowl, what has he done? Look at Adam Gase with the Jets. What, don't, where was Darnold last game? He was like 0 for 6, 0 for 7 to start the game. He was missing throws left and right. He was throwing across his body to one pass. Through an interception. If you look at the game, and he may have finished okay, but he didn't start off that good. You know, and then you have our own situation where you have Pat Shermer come in and help Eli, help revive his career. Everybody's saying, oh, well, he revived Case Keenum's career. You know, why don't you bring him in and help him recreate Eli's career or at least revive it? Where did that go? The first year, they were done with Eli. After that year, they said, you know what? We're going to go and draft a quarterback. After two weeks in the 2019 season, they benched him for Daniel Jones. So I don't get where this idea is coming from. You know, oh, help this guy, you know, quarterback guru and whatnot. It's not working out for a lot of teams. That's why I really hate, you know, because you're really, in a way, not paying attention to the other side of the ball. Let's be honest. You know, the Jets defense may have been good last year. The Bears defense may have been middle of the pack. But you take a look and, you know, I know it's one game, but you take a look, you know, the Bills-Jets game, the Jets defense was horrible. The Jets defense was horrible. What, are you going to disregard that? And they have a coordinator named Greg Williams. He's had an outstanding career as a defensive coordinator. So, you know, people need to start putting themselves in mind and, you know, with the whole, everybody's bringing up, oh, why isn't the enemy hired? You know, he's black. You know what? It's not even about that. Because, again, going back to my previous argument, I'm talking about right now. I'm talking about right now. You don't just hire an offensive coordinator to say, okay, let's help the quarterback. The only case that's possibly happened, Doug Peterson and Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson, Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz has been out for a lot of times and a lot of games for the Eagles. But Doug Peterson, he's just fine as a head coach. And they were talking about in our news report earlier or yesterday, or an article saying, oh, Doug Peterson, you know, he's had enough in Philly, and, you know, if they tank, or if they even, you know, do bad this year, he might be fired. The, the guy won you a Super Bowl. You know, I said this to my friend yesterday, I said, I don't like the Eagles, I hate Eagles fans, because they're so uprising, they're so stuck up, based on one Super Bowl that was like three years ago. You know that? But Doug Peterson, I respect him. You know, everybody's talking about, when they were talking about the Eric Bieniemy argument, oh, why didn't the Giants hire him? Is this racially, you know, uh, is this racially motivated? No, because literally everybody, you know, was talking about, oh, uh, you know, Joe Judge's not going to work out. Bill Belichick, you know, had him as a assistant coach. He's not going to work out. He's going to try to be Bill Belichick. He's got a personality. He's got a personality. He gives you simpleton answers in a way. But he also gives you detailed answers. The only way they're trying to become like New England is the backfield. You know, with all these defensive backs, will it work? We'll see. You know, Patrick Graham, 
defensive coordinator and was a defensive line coach and a linebackers coach. I believe he was that under Belichick as well a couple of years ago. But, you know, it's coming along with the Fox narratives and the... It's not necessarily CBS either. ESPN too. ESPN too as well with these narratives. So, I know it was a random topic and a random subject, but... Weirdly enough, that's how I'm going to close out my Giants, you know, bear subject. I'm predicting the Giants to win 24-20, and I'm, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. That's how I see it. Sorry for the rant, but I felt it was needed. I felt it was needed, so I, you know, expressed my point. And I know all the time, you know, I'm always, you know, not going into analytics or film or going to a point where I'm just listing stats and rankings. But at least I try to support my opinions with evidence, you know. You know, back it up. Like, I have the Giants winning this week for a number of reasons. Uh, Let's see. Banged up offensive line. Not banged up, but inexperienced. And the Steelers, you know, totally destroyed us last week. But I think that Jason Garrett and Mark Colombo could work together with this offensive line and get this offensive line, you know, at least ready for week two. You know, the left side of the offensive line for Detroit is not that bad. Frank Ragno, the center. Taylor Decker, he just got a paycheck. Joe Dahl, the left guard. So that side is fine. You could only get one sack, even with Khalil Mack, off the right side. When Jonah Jackson, the rookie out of Ohio State. And then you got, you know, somebody who hasn't started in a long time, Tyrell Crosby. You could only get one sack. And they were 18th in pass rush win rate. So... There's a lot of stuff that points out to a lot of people leading the predictions and saying, yeah, the Giants can win this week. So that's how I'm going to back on my point. That's how I'm going to finish this segment. Next off, it's going to be the Yankees and the Boston preview. Okay, so I'm going to start out with each team's starting lineup tonight. This is obviously game one in Boston. For the Yankees, they have Jordan Montgomery going against the Red Sox pitcher Martin Perez. So for the Yankees, batting first and second base is DJ LeMahieu. Batting second, Aaron Judge and right. Batting third is John Carlos Stanton, the designated hitter. Batting cleanup, the first baseman, Luke Voigt. Batting fifth is Glaber Torres at shortstop. Batting sixth is Aaron Hicks in center field. Batting seventh is Giovanni Urshela at third base. Batting eighth is Gary Sanchez, the catcher. And batting ninth is Clint Frazier. So for the Red Sox starting lineup, batting first in right field is Alex Verdugo. Batting second is third baseman, Rafael Devers. Batting third is the shortstop, Alexander Bogarts. Batting fourth is left fielder. J.D. Martinez, batting 5th is Christian Vasquez, the catcher. Batting 6th is designated hitter, Kevin Ploiecki. Batting 7th is Jackie Bradley Jr., the center fielder. Batting 8th is Michael Chavis, the first baseman. Batting ninth is Christian Arroyo at second base. Okay, so if we take a look, I'm going to do this real quickly here. I'm going to recap really the three games based on box score. Obviously, play-by-play and watching the game is a different story. But I'm going to recap these three games Based on what the Red Sox did, obviously these are not updated records. If you go to the third game, they are updated records. 19 and 32, the Red Sox are 11 15 away. And then the Marlins are 25 and 23, 8 and 13 at home. Not very good for home field advantage, but I guess they're used to no fans. Being that Marlins don't have a lot of fans because their baseball team literally sucks monkeys. Um, anyway, before I get to the pitching, it doesn't look like. A lot of struggling in the batting order. It seems very good, I would say. Not too many Ks, even though it was not here. Usually, it's pretty high, but those are actually combined. Those are not just against one pitcher as well. A lot of analytic people, as we call them, you know, they don't go off of batting average because they think 
because they think batting average is exploited in a way and they think it's overused so they usually go off slugging not too bad of slugging here some could get better some get worse anyway uh hawk if that's how you pronounce his name five innings pitched two hits three walks and seven k's 86 pitches in those five innings he did pitch which is actually pretty good for a boston starter or a reliever however you want to say but he did start the game so i guess you would classify him as a starter knowing that the bullpen for the red sox and pitching has just been hell all year especially against teams that are over 500 but i guess the marlins could not get the best of them in this series as you see here sandy Longtra struggled a little bit here only gave up one run but you know richard blyer gave up an unearned run as well but i guess that was not enough you know for the marlins offense to come back as you see bottom of the order gets a little chippy with jorge alfaro and chisholm so you go to the second game they lost uh michael kickham got the loss Yimmy Garcia, I believe his name is, got the win. I'm pretty sure we had a guy by the name of Yimmy Garcia, or I might be confusing somebody. But anyway, the Marlins offense pretty much broke out here. This is what I was talking about when the pitching. Michael Kickham, six earned runs, seven hits, 2.2 innings, three Ks, and two homers. I'm pretty sure that pitching 61 pitches and almost three innings is not that good, especially when you pitch count in six runs, especially against an offense like the Marlins. But Going off of what I just said earlier, you know, the Marlins, you know, it's on and off with their offense, and the Red Sox pitching has been really bad this year. You know, they even use Chris Mazza in here, and, you know, they've used a couple of different pitches, but it just doesn't seem to work for them. Here, you can see, you know, what happened. Garrett Cooper, former Yankee homer, Jorge Alfaro, Lewis Brinson, you know. Obviously, I would have probably have to go back and watch the game to get an in-depth analysis, or at least go to analytics, but... For a simple preview, I'm not going to do that. Now we move to game three, which was yesterday. Nathan Avaldi, the former Yankee, was on the mound. Didn't do that bad. Two hits, five innings, 76 pitches. I think they could have left him in a little bit more. Seven Ks, no walks, which is a very good stat there. Matt Barnes got the save. And they used a lot of bullpen pitchers, it looks like, because you know he didn't give up any runs, but they gave up the rest of the three, which is not really something that... The bullpen is very good when they're dependent on like that. And that just shows that, you know, sometimes they can't hold it. And I know it's only one occasion, but, you know, that's pretty much what the Red Sox have to offer this season. Take a look. Here's, you know, basically what happened. Raphael Devers hit a three-run Raphael Devers hit a three-run homer. That's the way that went. And then obviously you got the rest of the stuff down here. So real quickly, before we get into, you know, the game cast up here, if we do. Let's check out the seating in the standings. The Rays have already clinched a playoff berth, but they have not won the division yet. The Yankees are three and a half games behind, and the Rays, I'm pretty sure, play the Baltimore Orioles. So that's not really tough for them, knowing they really beat the crap out of the Orioles a lot, and they also beat the crap out of the Yankees a lot, even when they are healthy. So that's you know something to look out for. Now let's go to the league standings. Yankees are fifth. Obviously, the White Sox and the Rays did clinch playoff berths. The Dodgers did a couple of days ago. Congratulations to them. They are my second favorite team. And they are four games back from being the first seed. So, But as right now, I don't know who they would play as far as, you know, I would say playoffs. I would probably have to look at the bracketing, but I know the one plays the eight seed, the Yankees are fifth, so the White Sox would play the Astros. 
the Rays would play the Blue Jays, the Indians would play the Athletics, which leads the Twins to play the Yankees. And I'm pretty sure the Indians or whoever, uh, I'm pretty sure it was actually maybe the White Sox that were beating the Twins yesterday, which actually helps out the Yankees a little bit and moving up into the uh, league by seeding. And as of right now, they would still play the Twins, even if they did move up into the fourth seed. But as for right now, you know, that's where the Yankees are. And if we go back to divisional standings, look, to be honest, it's going to be weird if they do catch the Rays. But I don't think they will. Because no matter, you know, up and down slides for the Yankees, um, especially with this expanded playoffs thing, I do think the Yankees would actually get into the playoffs if there was no expanded playoffs. Because I think there's, what, six, seven teams? But the Yankees... And the 60-game span have had too many losses, especially they got seven, especially that seven-game losing streak, to go back into first place. That's my opinion. And the Rays are not a team to mess with, so I think you avoid them at all costs in the playoffs. Unless I think you avoid them at all costs in the playoffs until you get to like maybe the divisional series or the championship series. That's my stat. That's my take on that. You know, if another team beats them, great. If, you know, the White Sox beat him or whoever beats them, you know, best not be a team that's above you. Best to be a team that's below you. And hopefully you don't lose against them as well. But as far as, you know, the Red Sox offense goes, as we saw, you know, in here a little bit, even though this is the second game and I just went on the third game, it doesn't seem like their offense is that bad. But also, you know, the Yankees pitching in the bullpen needs to do well. Because last night we were leading... By a score of like 10 to 3. And Jonathan Holder comes in and gives up three runs. Chapman comes in, gives up another run, and now it's all of a sudden it's a safe situation. So that needs to happen less. I don't like Jonathan Holder for that reason because I think he gives up way too much runs when it's like a 10 3 game. Sessa would do that too, trust me. But as far as that goes, hopefully nobody jinxes the fact that the Yankees don't have anyone on the 10 day IL right now or are not going to have anyone on the 10 day IL. 10-day IL right now. Also, to mark another comment before we end this podcast episode, Giancarlo Stanton is likely to be rested tomorrow, even though he's in the lineup today. And then they're going to give Judge the day off on Sunday, which is the rubber game of the three-game set, which means that they're slowly easing them back into healthy situations. This is not for analytics. This is just for health reasons because Judge played one game the last time and he went back on the IL. So that's really something to monitor. I think Boone is taking a much more cautious approach, especially the way he did with the Glaber injury. You know, if it's a based analytic move, and let's just say Giovanni Urshela or Luke Voigt has a good day, and then he benches him, there's no need to do that. There's no need to do that. I will argue against that. But when you're doing it with Stanton and Judge, two players who are nursing injuries almost every day, you know, it's sort of smart. That's the way I see it, at least. But anyway... Thank you guys for listening to this podcast episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Get the notifications. Turn on the notifications button so you get notifications to join the conversation. Also, follow our social media pages on Twitter and Instagram at Big Blue in the Bronx. Updates will come on there always. Our podcasts are available on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Amazon Music Now, iHeartRadio, Overcast, and CastBox. And pretty much thank you guys for supporting us through this time. Even though I haven't been asking for money, you guys are downloading the episodes from different regions, wherever you are, whatever platform. 
Thank you guys. Let's hope for a Giants victory on Sunday. I really want to have a happy recap rather than just saying, okay, the Giants just lost. You know, this, that, and the other thing happened. Hopefully, Jordan's back on for the Giants recap from the Bears on Tuesday, even though I do have a little bit of schoolwork to do. But no matter that, thank you guys, and we will see you on Tuesday.